Kennedy Street, please visit kennedystreetcio.org. Recovery is possible. There we go. There we go. Ah, look at us. We've done it. And I've not said it always takes me by surprise. <laughs> <laughs> because it always does. But hi, everybody. Welcome to our fabulous recovery talks, um, which we bring to you um, every week with pleasure. It's an honour and a privilege to be of service. And what we want to do with these talks is share the message of hope. Um, and just spread the good news that actually recovery is possible and that there are some amazing projects out there um, from amazing people that we just don't hear about often. Um, our passion is all about making recovery visible and accessible to people um, and just demystifying the whole recovery process because there's a lot of shame and stigma and, and misinformation really that's out there still and it often stops people from getting into recovery it stopped me for sure um because i didn't fit the stereotypical image that i had in my head so yeah we want to we want to share with you um some just some really great testimony and some great projects that are happening around the country and if you're struggling um, you don't have to be alone. You don't have to do this on your own. You, We can connect you. So for, for those of you who don't know what we do, we run um, a national recovery helpline thanks to COVID. We weren't doing that before the lockdown. Then the lockdown hit and we've um, a, a national recovery helpline has emerged. So that's any addiction. What we do is we've got an abundance of wonderful peer supporters who um, we've trained up to answer our phones and they connect you they act as what we call recovery connectors who connect you to what services are freely available in your area um, and whatever your needs are we'll we'll try and help you find a solution so as i said i'm claire kennedy i'm the founder and ceo of kennedy street cio um, and I'm going to hand over to my gorgeous husband, who will introduce our fabulous guest speaker. So over to you, Kevin. Hello, hello, everyone. Um, I hope you're all. Uh, I hope lockdown or whatever cheer you in is treating you fairly decent. Won't be long now. We've all got the, the jabs will be coming out soon, and we'll get back to normal. Uh, my name is uh, Kevin. Kevin Kennedy. Uh, if you need to put a face to the the name i did play curly watts in coronation street for uh 20 odd years and uh, a very happy birthday to coronation street today it's 60 years old today which is unbelievable uh so a big a big shout out to all my former friends and colleagues crew and directors and actors and anyone who worked on it so happy birthday to us um so that's my face if you want to put uh uh, a face to the the dulcet tones if you're listening on the on the pods um and today uh, i am sorry i am the uh, chairman no i'm not i am the what am i i am the <laughs> patron. The patron. You're the patron 
So yeah, yeah, it's cold. I am the patron of of. Uh, I was going to say Coronation Street. I am the patron of Kennedy Street. It's going very well. It's going very well this morning. And today, as ever, we have someone very interesting. We have Stuart, who's from Aspire in Doncaster. Uh, and Stuart is going to tell us all about uh, Aspire uh, and a little bit about his story. Uh, so I'll hand over to, uh, thankfully, I'll hand over to, to Stuart. Thank you, Kev. Um, yeah, uh, welcome, everyone. Yeah, so I'm Stuart. Um, well, I suppose what I am and who I am are very much different things. Uh, so I'm Stuart. Um, I'm in long-term recovery myself, 20 years in recovery. Um, how did I get into recovery? Well, I fell into it, really, I suppose, in a way, initially. I think first time in recovery, it's a gift. Second time, it's bloody hard work. And I was fortunate. I sort of did it first time round. But what one thing that struck me is, is that, uh, and I work with a lot of people in addi- with addictions today, is a lot of people know a lot about addictions and substances and drink, but don't know a lot about not drinking or not not taking substances and I was quite arrogant in my using days about knowing where the best or cheapest ciders were and in those days we didn't have 24-hour drinking so you know knowing when the off license is open or uh, drug dealers were but I didn't know a lot about recovery or not taking drugs um so yeah so I'm in long-term recovery and since then I would prefer to call myself I'm in discovery so I t- I'm for every day is a new day. Um, and I think that's really important when you're in recovery because it's a journey. Then uh, there's a subtle difference between being abstinent um, and being in recovery because recovery aspires to well-being. And, you know, health have tried to mechanicalize recovery, try to define recovery, try to set up recovery champions. It's great to listen to Claire about some of the community connectors because, you know, when, when you're looking at promoting recovery, giving people leaflets, they just end up in the bin. And it's just a waste of trees. But when you've got real-life people connecting people to stuff, that's where stuff really starts to happen. So... Yeah, my journey was um, I went to rehab in, ironically, in Notting Hill at the time. Uh, the rehab's closed uh, now. Uh, it was Crescent House. And uh, I remember arriving, and um, one of the substances I used to use a lot of was stimulants. And uh, I was down to about seven stone. I'm, I'm pushing 14 now. But, um, you know, and, and I keep threatening to join a gym. It's a bit like getting into recovery, isn't it? You could claim, you know, you've got a key worker or a worker, but unless you actually go and do something with it, you're never going to get fit or exercise it. So, um, you know, I, 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 did, um, I did rehab down in London and uh, volunteered in there. And volunteering is such a key part. And I still work, you know, we've got a really strong volunteer mentor program up in Doncaster. And I think there's something about putting back. And I once worked with a patient that said, if I don't, volunteer i feel like i'm stealing something and there's about connection so when you look at the model chime which is around connection hope identity meaning and empowerment they're your key components of recovery and well-being and you know there's a lot of evidence when you look at connections if if you've got um fractured or broken connections people start to connect to substances and drink and often they're the unhealthy connections so when i work when i've worked with a lot of Um, families and they say well how do I stop my little son getting involved in addictions well the more positive connections they have the less chance they are to fall into addictions so there is something about connections are really key um, for keeping people well 
and retaining wellness. And those connections are beyond services. And currently I manage a service in Doncaster called Aspire. Um, we, we believe in celebrating recovery. I think, unfortunately, the war on drugs has been a war on addicts. And that has painted a picture of criminalization and a, a long-term health condition as something wrong with someone when really it's often deep-seated in either historic childhood trauma or abuse. And actually, when you look at addiction as the kind of symptom, the causational factors behind that are often poor social um, groups or um, unfortunate events that have happened as childhood. So, you know, for me, I think getting beyond the substance is really interesting. And that's where recovery really happens. So I kind of manage a service up in Doncaster called Aspire. And we've, we're really big on trying to celebrate recovery and show what wellness can really look like. Um, some of the stuff we do at the minute is we do the recovery games. However, this year, you know, and I'm so glad we're going to change the C word to Christmas now instead of COVID because I'm just fed up of it. And I bet everyone else is. And actually, when you look around you, people that are doing really quite well, are, you can see the trauma from social restrictions and limitations in people's kind of networks. And I think the novelty originally of you know, Zoom and, and, and Microsoft Teams is great in March, but now it's just tiring, isn't it? Um, but, you know, it, it, it has been useful because it brings people together so there's no geographical boundaries, not gives us platforms like this to, to connect, but there's nothing like human connection and interaction really is the when we really look at it. So in Doncaster, we kind of, what we've tried to do is create a model which, it's loosely based around sort of biopsychosocial. So the bio bit is all your, your pills and potions. And they, they, they have a key part to play. You've got to be really careful with people with addictions because you start giving them more pills and potions. That becomes a substitute. It can be a crutch, but that's only a period while they look at the... The, the way they interact with others, and that's your psycho bit. So that's working with people on one-to-one. -one. And what's really important is groups. So I think one of the, some of the stuff that we're really big on, unfortunately we haven't been able to do this uh, physically because of COVID restrictions, is group work. Because I think groups have a real sense of belonging, identity, meaning. Um, you look across your own communities, groups are really key. So, you know, I live in a village at the minute where, dare I say, the cycling group quite scares me because everyone dresses in lycra and they, they ride down the road in, in, in packs. You know, but groups play a significant part about identity, meaning and value with individuals. And... Um, I think when you look at addiction, uh, for those people that are familiar with asset-based sort of community building, it's very similar. So, you know, no, no one does recovery alone. That's very clearly evident. Um, and when you look at addiction, the end of addiction often is a relationship with the substance uh, and the people that use it, and then you're very reluctant to share anything. And when you look at the drug set and setting, the drug tends to get stronger, the set's smaller, smaller the group of people, and the setting tends to be, you know, your front room with drawn pair of curtains. And I, I've worked with a lot of people who say, well, drinking's sociable. I says, well, a can of special brew at 10 in the morning, with all respect to Jeremy Kyle, with your curtains closed, isn't sociable, guys. Let's be honest. You know, once upon a time, you may have gone to a pub and, you know, had a half a shandy and talked to a load of mates and supped that all night, and that may have been social drinking today in. You know, so there is a realisation, and I think, you know, addiction is a really misunderstood trait, uh, and it's 
personally, I think sometimes it is also, you know, the collateral effect of a, a, a society we live in today. Um, and it's how do we care for people? So, you know, Aspire does look at that biopsychosocial, and the social bit's so key because people can get treated in hospitals and services but stay well in communities. So often I think how well a recovery uh, community is isn't based on how big a service is and how many ambulances they've got at the bottom of the cliff and how shiny they are. It's how well those community assets and groups that are around those services are and how busy those bridges are between services and those groups. And that includes fishing groups, could be knitting groups, card groups, you name it. Those are the things that keep people well and interested in life and connected. And actually, when you look at harm reduction and recovery, I don't think they're, they're opposite ends of the spectrum, you know, because, yes, dead people don't recover, and it's important we prescribe the right medication to keep people alive so they have hope and belief that there's a way out of this. But also, I think that without community, then harm reduction becomes a very isolating part, and part of harm reduction is not using alone, not being alone, having those connections. So, in a way, it's kind of very similar. So, yeah, so that... I mean, that's kind of where we are. I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate today, you know, as I say, I went, I, went, I went to London with a hold all and I came back with a container load of, of stuff and ended up with a flat in London. But now I manage a service in, in Doncaster and, you know, it's, it's a mixed one. I work, I'm, I'm employed by the NHS. So technically I'm what I call a pole, P-O-L-E, which is a person of lived experience. Um, but I'm very big um, with Leros, which is lived experience recovery organisations. So what you find in local areas is there's often very charismatic and motivated individuals in recovery setting up groups which are strength-based, not deficit-based, and not looking at gaps, but recognise that people want to connect and do something beyond just a tea and toast in a recovery cafe. And it's, it's about what do they do besides that. And you see these Leros spring up all over the country but what we haven't found and some of the work I'm doing with um, Dr Ed Day and Professor David Best is how do we find that voice back into government because the NHS are great at organising themselves and talking to, to government uh, and we've got the Addiction Provider Alliance around that. Voluntary sector have got collective voice. Commissioners have now got a voice but Leros haven't. So what we're trying to do is look at how we can develop Leros um, and have a voice back in there as people with lived experience saying, you know, we are experts on ourselves. Yeah. If, if you know, if I broke my leg, heaven forbid, I, I would want a surgeon to operate it on, but I might want a bit of peer support by people that have had previous broken legs to support me on, about my recovery. So I think it's really important about how recovery connects and how we how we develop that and celebrate it as well and it should be a community celebration because for people in recovery they're often putting stuff back into their community and i think next next um next people next to faith-based organizations that volunteer are people in recovery they love volunteering so if you want you know your your, your streets look clean and tidy and your fence to be mended live next to people in recovery you know and and i think what for me, one of the key reasons for me coming on today is that I think the press paints a, often a one-sided picture of addiction, but doesn't necessarily paint the other side about how people can be really well and what they can do with their lives, really. Absolutely. Love it. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a closet sort of 
mega fan of yours. You don't know this, but I, I've been listening to you for ages, and I think you're fabulous. I love everything that you do. I love everything that you say. Completely identify. Before lockdown, I was helping people in recovery start business ideas. So I know how amazing people in recovery are. They are exceptional. But they need support. And I think what you're doing with the Leros, the Leros group, and all the other amazing people that are part of that is really needed um, because people need support. They're great at what they do. I'm great at what I do. But there's areas that I don't know about that I need support with. So so well done. I really love what you're doing. Um, so excited to be part of it. I'm just so excited to see what comes from it because I think collectively we can change the world we do change the world but we often do it quietly so it'd be great now if um those people with lived experience who do want to bring something more than just um you know fellowship groups you know um let's get it visible i say definitely wonderful wonderful kev did you want to ask Stuart any questions um, yeah, it's just basically for the good people of Doncaster. Is that the area that you you service yeah. mostly? And and you, you mentioned you're part of the NHS, which I think is brilliant. But does does that mean extensive waiting lists? Uh, so how would a, a person who who would need some help now get in touch with you? Okay. And will yeah. Be so on I mean, a waiting we've list? got a website. You can you can Google Aspire Community, but or you can give us a shout, and our numbers are on there for the Doncaster local services. I mean, I, I kind of with waiting lists. I'm, I'm, I think if yes, there is key points in a treatment journey where there may be wait times, but I, I really want to spend a massive bloody big arrow above our entrance saying your recovery starts now because I, I don't think I don't think there's a waiting period for recovery. Um, I really think you can do something right now, right here. Um, I, I, I do think there is some people that do come into treatment that have complex coexisting conditions like mm -hmm. mental health or learning disabilities, which may need a lot more support and potentially will stay with us a long time. But I also think that treatment services need to be really ambitious about, um, you know, because I, I wouldn't go into a building without knowing where the exit is. And uh, and as people come into services, I think it's really important that we plan to look at where they can exit as well. So in terms of waiting lists, uh, we, we're pretty responsive. So usually within, you know, a couple of weeks, you'll have a full assessment, a few weeks, you'll have you know, a key worker. You can work on an individual journey when you're ready. I mean, unfortunately in Doncaster, we've, we've got, um, we, we've, we've, I personally sort of manage 16 different needle exchanges, for instance. We've got a direct access. We've got group work. I've got an inpatient detox unit still. Um, I, I can send people to rehab. I do rehab referral straight from prison. So when someone says, you know, I want to go to rehab, I don't say, well, actually, come out of prison first. Why don't you come through Doncaster, an old using, old using patch, risk running that gauntlet, come and do a full assessment, spend a few weeks waiting while we get a community care assessment done, and then send you off to rehab and hope you're still drug and alcohol free. No, I'll, I'll get you straight there, straight from the prison gates. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's about where people are at. Um, and I think 
I think generally people with addictions are motivated, albeit in the wrong direction. And I'm a great believer, and I know it's from the, the 12 step in the fellowship, but if they come to, to our helping services half as many times as they've used drugs or alcohol, they'll be really well people. And I think the problem with addiction is we like to cut corners. I still try and do that in my working career, you know, find an easy route. Um, but I think it, it, it's, it is hard work. But in terms of waiting lists, there is some clinical waits for specific stuff, but there's loads of stuff you can access, like smart, fellowship, group work, um, talking therapies, you know, even digital. I use stuff like Breaking Free Online. There's all sorts out there right now that can be helping people. And will it, how much will it cost if I, if I come and see you and, and, and you can refer me to a rehab? Will it cost me anything? It'll cost you nothing for Doncaster. There is a small contribution for Doncaster people uh, that is a top-up, which is basically means-tested for food and heating, which you would normally have. But the, it, it's, it's usually not an obstacle. It's nominal. Um, you know, so the detox doesn't cost you anything from Doncaster. Um, and there's, there's, you know, most areas should be able to provide a free service for their local population. And there's routes to all elements of care. Well, what if I've already got a job and I don't really want to go to rehab because I just, I can't afford to have time off work, especially with things the way they are at the moment. How do I, how do I, I, I go forward from that? It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because I, I suppose you're not going to cut off the means that you fund your addiction with. And I guess it's about sometimes that functional addict, if you want to use that language, um, it, you know, they haven't reached the basement or rock bottom and go below that. However, you know, we can look, there is, there is, this is the beauty of technology today, there's virtual groups and help outside of working hours. But realistically, sometimes it's about having a period of time off to get yourself sorted because it's beyond just detox. Detox, to be honest, with all respect to uh, the physical pain um, of going through a um, assisted withdrawal, a medical withdrawal program, recovery is um, it's an inside job. And sometimes uh, the very work you're doing can create the addiction and justification for using, you know, how many people have gotten on a Friday night and think, I've had a shit week, you know, I deserve a drink well that that's that's dodgy thinking isn't it straight away um you know and you know so i think sometimes it's about really taking stock and that's the stresses and strains of the life isn't it and this is back to where i was saying the collateral damage of society we live in today and the payoffs and i've i've seen and with all respect to my colleagues uh, detoxing people in the private sector who provide a checkbook entry into detox some people use that as a regular detox period every six months because of the nature of the, the job they're in is so stressful that over the period they they reach a dependency issue have a short period in a detox unit get the wheels back on and off they go again and then they're already thinking when they're going to come back in but to me that isn't long-term recovery Mm. That that is that's quick fix. That's like a quick drive-through service on a car, isn't it? When yeah. fundamentally there's something more underneath going wrong. Um, so for those people that working, yes, I appreciate you've got to bring um, food to the table, and we will work with people that are working. We we offer late night clinics. We offer stuff around uh, core working hours. It's limited, I'll be honest, Kev. Um, mm. And I think if you're going to do the job properly. I think it's about recognising you may need a, a couple of months out just to focus on yourself and take a, um, an inventory. And I think recovery should come with a health warning because it does change your relationships. It really, really does. And you start to see conditional relationships in a whole different light. 
and realise that, you know, um, your network of what you thought was healthy isn't that healthy sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes you start to appreciate things differently. I, I love the phrase you use, beyond the substance. <laughs> uh, I think that's great. That's, that's got to go on a T-shirt. But, uh, um, and you talked about exits. So if I come to you and will one of those exits lead to some employment for me? Absolutely. So, I mean, for me, key exits are employment, education, childcare. It's sustainable recovery. It's not... Um, it's not just an after, 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 aftercare service that's somewhere sat over in a local community that's just for people who have suffered substances. It's about reintegration with com- with communities. And I think one of the beauty of having volunteers and mentors, and that, that is, again, a valid exit. We do recovery checkups, and I listen to Claire at the beginning where, you know, after people leave, we offer people that, we've lived ex- that have had lived experience the opportunity to connect with people in early recovery just to see how they're doing. So it's that warrior down stuff because people often fear leaving services, fear of relapse or failure, and often controlled endings aren't familiar to addiction because usually in in an addictive uh, career, all your endings are forced upon you because of your addiction. So you end up getting locked up. You end up losing your job. You end up with family breakups. You're not in control of that ending. So for for you to control your own endings is a very uncomfortable experience for a lot of people with addictions. So having an ending of a design is quite unique to someone with addictions but having volunteers and mentors is really interesting because it smashes the clinical fallacy as well because in in services what you see as workers is poorly people and what you see is when people fail poorly people returning so you start to lose belief in recovery but if you have people in lived recovery that are doing well in your service then you actually hang on a minute there's someone that did it and you start having belief in the patients you're treating that they can actually be something more than a statistic or a long-term treatment episode. So I think it's about having ambition as well. And hope. I think hope. Hope, hope is, uh, for me, you know, working with, with my peers um, gives me hope every day. And I think the difference, the beautiful difference with peer-led projects is... It's not me on the other side of the river going, okay, this is how you get over. This is about me being on the same side of the river as the person going, yeah, it's tough. This is this is a big raging river in front of us. But you know what? I'm going to get alongside you whilst whilst we find the right path for you. You know, whilst we get across, we we'll find a boat, we'll do whatever it is that you know. But we'll do it together. And I think that's the beautiful thing about peer support is it's not um, it's not a there's no hierarchy to it. There's no I'm going to be doing to you. You know, like the, often when you've I personally have therapy. I love I love a bit of therapy now. But back in the day, I I was a bit frightened of it. Because I thought, you know, that somebody was going to be telling me what to do. Um, but no, there's so many things there that, that are really, really absolutely critical and interesting too. Um, I know I know for way back when Kev was starting off for his journey, it was we did try and access um um public funded services. It was it was not the place for Kev because it, you know, at the time it was being watched every week by 21 million people. So can you imagine Curly Watts walking into a service and they put, they put him on a pedestal straight away. They iconised him. He loved it because he was really poorly. He was in there playing the guitar, wasn't he, Kev? Um, but it really, 
it wasn't really the best place for him because he, he he needed to be with his peers. He needed to be with other people that he could identify with. So we did go down the road of private um, private treatment. Um, and plus, you know, Granada were amazing. Mm. But there was so much learning to be had. And like you say, that investment of taking time off was critical. It really was critical, an investment in him. So we had to invest in the treatment... But you know what? There was a, there was a part of what he was doing that made him realise that actually, you know what? We've just had to borrow like I think it was nearly eighteen thousand pounds once at the time, which is a lot. Of, we didn't have that sort of money, but it was so important to Kev realising the enormousness of what what was going on. You know, uh, yeah. So I think I think there's room for everything, and I do think you know I think. Obviously, public funded services are brilliant, um, but I do think there's definitely room. And But I get what you said, Stuart, about I've worked with clients in the community and they've been in treatment 16 times. In private treatment, I had one client who was um, a parent paid for her to go in 16 times and it wasn't the solution for her. You know, so I said, what, well, you know, what are your hopes and your dreams? Mm. And she said... I just want to feel like I've got purpose. I want to find my passion. So I said, well, what is your passion? And she just burst out crying and said, no one's ever asked me that. Yeah. And I think that's the interesting bit when you talk about hope and stuff. That's the identity, isn't it? And, you know, and I see so many services say the person-centred. They're not. System-centred. And just like what Kev said, there's waiting lists. There's waiting rooms. You know, Lero's... And recovery groups are person-centred. Because as soon as you walk in a room, someone says, hello, do you want a cup of tea? Yeah. And, and it's straight away you've got a well, connection right at the moment and at 10 o'clock at night. Well, that was the question I was going to ask you. Can you walk me through it? I mean, all right, um, say, there is, say there isn't COVID at the moment. Um, say, so I make a phone call to you saying I need some help. What's the process and who do I meet? And, and are those people are, are, are they are they all right? Are they are they are they professionals? Um, do they know what they're talking about? Uh, is there security? Uh, is there a bit of confidentiality about yeah. this? Because I don't want wife to know what's going on. Yeah. So I mean, if, if I mean, first of all, the what we would do is we would invite you to a welcome group. So this is about understanding what you think you need and what you want. Um, so. We've also got needle exchanges, so we, we, we do run needle exchanges out of different entrances and different parts of Doncaster. Now, that's purely harm reduction. We look at naloxone for overdose. We look at, you know, bloodborne virus checks, hepatitis C. So we've got all that physical health stuff going off, yeah? Um, if you're approaching me, part of the initial conversation is what do you hope to get by coming here? Because... You know, as I said, it's back to the, the it, and I see it in patients, they, they take pride in going up and down 5 mil on methadone, but wonder why they're using on top. Well, if that's all you've got to look forward to, that isn't, that isn't recovery, mate. With all respect, it really ain't. You wouldn't be saying the same if it was um, epilepsy medication, would you? Because you'd be fitting. 
So, you know, when you look at it, medication has its part to play, and I think often treatment services try and be something they cannot be. So part of the welcome group is, is about social support, recovery groups, connections. What, what, what is your community and local asset? And especially, you know, you say this is outside of COVID, but when you look at community groups and how they've rallied during COVID, they've often done it better than the statutory services because they've been a lot more nimble and responsive to community need to Mrs. Smith over the road that's old, elderly. So we've got a welcome group, which is more of an orientation and information session and understanding what we, we can offer you and what our edges are. And that will be from prescribing to talking therapies to group work to possibly rehab, detox, to try and give you a sort of a, a roadmap of what Aspire is about and the steps that it would offer. But equally, put back to you what you can do and what what is your responsibility because I think often in in, in Western Medica Western medicine, the most underutilized per person in the room is the patient. And actually the patient's got loads of power. And it's about harnessing that power and I love what Claire was saying about people's interests and what do you want because I, I didn't put drugs and alcohol down to lead a boring life I've just got more interesting things to do in my life than take drugs and alcohol today so that's the key is is, is finding that spark so some of the work with 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 the staff that I I employ and I've got a team of about 80 85 staff got consultants down to lived experience volunteers and mentors but when I look at it is it is confidential service there are issues which we're obliged to by law around safeguarding children, but we'll do that in a sensitive way and where you can manage risks appropriately, that we would have an open dialogue with that. A lot of our service users have got children, um, and you know that, that relationship starts from that welcome group. Then it's on to a full assessment. What we were finding is people were coming into services asking where the nearest 12-step meeting was. They're being assessed to death. And actually, all I wanted to know was it was down the road of what time it started. So that's kind of kind of that. And then we move on to a more comprehensive assessment. And I'd hope it would be a strength-based assessment. So we are looking at the strengths rather than just the deficits. No one wants to feel battered about the deficits. We see that in the advertising world today. You need this watch. You need this perfume to be the best human being in the UK. It's all deficit-based advertising, isn't it? So when we look at it in we try and look at the strength-based stuff and then identify whether there's a prescribing need in there, a detox need, there maybe it's just some key work and guidance. And I think that's services often portray themselves to be recovery-orientated, and it's spray-on. It's not real recovery. It's a spray-on recovery. They've changed care plan to recovery plan. You know, actually, what do they mean by that? What's the difference? Um, but I, often I, I find, unfortunately, the service users and the population that come forward um, aren't the best at representing themselves, um, which in, in a way, how do you know the services are good quality? I mean, we're obviously CQC registered because we're part of the NHS. And part of what we're doing with Leros is trying to create standards at the minute. But we want those standards to be scaffolding rather than a cage. So it's really important that they become the framework for people to build Leros rather than stifling people into a set design. Yeah, I remember when I first went into recovery, and, and again, I know the answer to this, but this is for the, the good people of Doncaster who may be watching or listening, but these are the questions that, that, that I, wanted, but I was asking myself. I mean, I want to get well. I realise I've got a problem, but how long is this all going to take? It's 
when you're ready, I mean, if you uh, uh, there isn't there isn't uh, you know, I, I believe recovery isn't is yes. There's a, people can show you a roadmap, but it's about having a recovery moral compass in it, and it's knowing what's good for you today, what's bad for you, and you know, because you can go anywhere in the world then and survive basically. I mean, using it, 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 the using, it's understanding, using in that moment, isn't it? A medically-assisted detoxification can take a very short period of time. There, there, were, there were areas that were doing it within five days. And, you know, but you, you, how long does it take to pass your driving test? Yeah, and, and, and really, that's a good analogy, actually, because once you pass your driving test, that isn't you like a master you become a master of the road by getting in the car and driving don't you it's a really great it's a very i mean i look at um stopping drinking and drug taking for me was like about two percent of the problem my my 98 percent of the problem i'm living it today you know it might be 22 mm. years since i've had a drink yeah. or a drug but life still happens you know i've lost my parents i've been through ill health all of these life challenges come, you know, and what recovery is for me is learning to live with those life challenges um, and adapting that tool bag that you talked about. You know, one year it might be different. I'll tell you what I did want to ask you, though. There's so many things that I want to ask you. I can't even begin to tell you. I might have to invite you for the weekend or I might have to come to Doncaster and see you once this is finished. Um, but come I want to the recovery games. Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm getting fit as well. So I've now got an, um, a, a personal trainer. So oh. when you said that at the beginning, I was like, yes, that's me. I'm the same. It's more of it's a knockout and Tisha's castle. So it's, it's just a, it's just hilarious. And we have fancy dress. So it's not like the Olympics where it all gets very serious. And... Well, I th- do you know what? I've got that unfit that I think actually it'd be nice just to be fit enough to, to even have a fun game. So, you know, but we'll be there. We'll be there for sure. But I wanted to ask you specifically about families. I'm passionate about families in recovery. Had I not got the education that I got before the whole recovery process started... I don't know if I personally would have got into recovery, never mind Kev. I mean, I, I don't take credit for Kev's recovery at all, but the support that I got and the knowledge of professionals who knew what they were talking about, so and people with lived experience. I, I started with Al-Anon, for instance. I went to Al-Anon 25 years ago, which, for anybody who's listening, that is for family members who are affected by somebody else's drinking. Um, and I went there for two years, Stuart, Two years I went about two, three times a week before I started to really fully understand the part I played in it. You know, in my journey, not not Kev's journey, mm-hmm. um, it was a revelation when one little old lady said to me one day, every time you point that finger at your husband and blame him for the way that your life's turned out, she said, remember there's three pointing back at you and one at the solution. She said, you're the only one that you can do anything about and you can only do it with outside help. Now get your shit together. Yeah. And that was a combination. Yeah. I mean, families, it's, it, yeah. And, and they took hostage and hijacked by their loved one's addiction and they can see beyond it. They see the person beyond it and that person they love so much. 
and just wonder why. But then they play the dysfunctional role and often are the enablers and the colluders in that person's addiction. And we're, we're really guilty in the UK of putting families in waiting rooms and uh, visitor centres rather than actually seeing them as a key component in enabling people to change. But they equally need to be on a journey with the individual. Often, you know, I, I think some of the best work can be done when the loved one's saying rehab, the family's going through a rehabilitation program alongside. Because, you know, I, I can even echo in my previous relationships, you know, uh, not the current one, I must emphasize today, that it's some of that right. destructive thinking, you know, deliberately yeah. causing arguments so that I'm going use. You know, just sick thinking. And when I look at it, you know, that's, that's that dysfunctional relationship. Um, and that's often why families can't help the loved one because there's an emotional investment. A professional can to a point, but it's about retraining. Um, and that's why I said it comes with a health warning. But, you know, families are often seen as the obstacles in, early, in, in, in lateral addiction when people are just in that pre-contemplation contemplation. So they, they think there's a problem, but it's the family because they don't give them money anymore. And it's all of that. And actually, if we, you know, in Doncaster, there's a suggestion there's 5,000 problematic drinkers, and we, we only see a fraction of them in service. But the family see that. So if you can work with the family, there's ways of addressing that, you know. Yeah. Um, and do you do, do you help support the families in Doncaster from your project? Do you offer some family support? Yeah, there's, 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 um, we run a thing called um, uh, Family MOT, which is moving on together. So uh, there's a family program, and that focuses on group work with the family. But also there is support groups. There's a, a group that's independent of us called Support for Change that works purely with the families as well. And like you said, there's Al-Anon as well so and you know and, and for families if you look at open open fellowship meetings you can take the loved one to that meeting initially um and then say look you know he didn't want to come on his own so i brought him along and then they can they can move on and that loved one, the one that's suffering can be truly truly honest with themselves perhaps so i think i think that they play a key part um, and I think also, I think the nuclear family which we're in today is very different from the hunter-gatherers uh, that we were in. And, you know, uh, um, a lot, you know, when you look at how we, how we function as families, and I think there's no, no such thing as a, 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 a functional family because a lot of it's dysfunctional unless there's just love in it, isn't there? So the, there is so much, you know, stuff. And I think what, what some of the stuff that I've... I've um, I think is quite on the money at the minute is stuff around trauma. Uh, and you look at that family trauma or being brought up with that. And, you know, um, Gabor Matty talks a lot about stuff at the moment around that. And, and I think he talks about with addiction, not what's your poison, but what's your pain. And, and people don't, you know, no one sets out to have a career. I want to become an addict. You know, that's not, hardly, hardly you were planning that at 10 year old, you know, yeah. Uh, but I do think people get stuck. Some people get stuck. Some people have a fortunate, I wasn't, that recreation, recreationally used substances for a period and move through it into a different way of life. Some people get stuck. And the stuckness, um, it's, it's a common, you know, when you look at it in your head, what you're trying to do is, is you feel stuck. You can't create change through your lifestyle. So what do you use? Substances. It's a logical response to a stuck condition. You know, so it, it's, it's kind of logical, you know, in a way. And, you know, I hear families say, well, why is he destroying himself? 
generally is not. People are people. I use he. I don't know why I'm using he. He could be a she. But you know why? Why are you destroying? They're not. They're trying to remove something that doesn't belong. Something's in there that doesn't really belong. They're trying to so, aren't they? Yeah. Is what do you use? Um, do you use local rehabs, uh, or do you use NHS rehabs? Is is there a facility there for that? And and the second part of that is is over the pandemic, have you found yourself as as we have uh, in in great demand and people are yeah. struggling? I mean, I, I, I we we've got a approved provider list, so I've got a number of twelve step rehabs, I've got a number of therapeutic communities, a number of Christian, and there's kind of and there's a concept out. So there's four main strands to rehab. So there's the twelve step philosophy. So those that are already experienced twelve step, a twelve step rehab usually is quite it synchronizes with their experience of what recovery could look like. Therapeutic communities are uh, often kind of more Phoenix-based, so it looks at peer, um, and it can, can the, the thing with, with therapeutic communities is how people exit. It's making sure there's a good exit strategy. But there is an investment in a, a peer evaluation and peer challenging, and everyone's a mirror in the group. So, And then you've got your Christian-based stuff as well. So there's a range of them, and then concepts are blend. And in this bio, we are quite eclectic. So for people that can't go to rehab, we want a, a day Hub, which is a, a recovery program, but again, it's, it tends to be between nine and five, Kev. So there is an element of, and and you know, most employers do have pretty robust. One thing that we've been consulted on quite a lot recently is good um, uh, drug and alcohol uh, policies for employers. And one thing that I've been trying to get my hand in with is when people say, oh, "Will you come and do some training for my organisation?" And we've done some some very big organisations. How much do you charge? I said, "Well, I'll do it for free, but will you take a couple of our volunteers and as apprentices or train them up?" So I'm trying to reinvest back into the community rather than because I think there's other ways that communities can pay, and there is just responsibility to the communities really. I, I do a very similar model, but I don't give it to free to, to, to companies. I charge them. Um, so we go into big companies, big and small. You can do it all on Zoom. Um, and we charge companies um, because that helps sustain our charity. And what we do do is we, we the, the, our volunteers that we train up is the idea we've not got there yet we've only been registered as a charity since one week before lockdown but the idea is is to train our volunteers to become um paid facilitators of these workshops that go into organizations and also be that that visible recovery connector that goes into an organization but is externally linked i've done a lot of work over the years as a private practitioner like case managing and therapeutic processes and all sorts of stuff within organizations but the reluctance for people to come forward because they will be line managed they will be reported to their line manager yeah. so people don't want to come forward when they've got problems yeah. but what we found with our model is that we send in as a charity a, a paid facilitator who delivers a workshop who then connects people back out in the community so we're not line managing anyone we're basically a resource for the company to go actually you know what we've got somebody who's got a problem can we connect them to your your charity please it's like yeah absolutely and then we connect them with all these amazing resources like you said the fellowships have done exceptional um exceptional um during lockdown you know mm -hmm. so proud of all of the fellowships it's unbelievable what they've done um 
But I think it's great to know that you help family members because I do think they they can play a huge part in, in the healing process for themselves first and foremost. And if they've got children, then those children can benefit too. Um, so I think it is it is a family illness as far as I'm concerned. You know, well, the, yeah. It's not just the addict that's affected, is it? It's the whole family. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. The family get the spots, don't they? Yeah, they, I, do you know what though? As a family member, I, I was probably more dysfunctional in some areas than Kev. Mm. You know, my coping strategies were shockingly bad. Um, my need for control was my—that was my addiction. You know, it was like if I if I check enough and somehow control the 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 the, the substance, then I will somehow feel better about myself. It was absolutely warped thinking. Um, and I've had to learn a whole new way of life because recovery is a whole new... We're not going to pretend that recovery isn't a complete transformation of your life because if anybody's watching, that's what you've got to be prepared for. It's it's You're either all in or you're all out, really, isn't it? Mm, it's not a destination. It's um, it's kind of a way of life, isn't it? And, 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 and I love it, you know, because families, when they talk to me, I says, you catch it in the language, you know. Your loved one will say, I'm just having a little drink, you know. It's always the minimal... You can pick up the minimalisation, justification of a shit day, you know, just have a drink today. And you think, well, why, why are you latching onto that, <laughs> you know? Uh, there's, only two, there's only ever two reasons why people use substances. It's either for enjoyment... Or avoidance, simple as that. There's never anything else. I've never found a third reason. Yeah, and what I do like going flitting back um, to Gabor Mate, you mentioned. Um, I mean, I do believe trauma plays a huge part in people's um, addictions and why they choose um, to to get into seeking oblivion through ever any behaviour, be it substance or behavioural. Um, but I do think that, that there are a lot of people that haven't experienced trauma, um, like childhood abuse or, you know, that, that do end up going down the road of addiction. Um, and I think the actual participation of becoming an addict in itself is quite traumatic. Do you know what I mean? So for those that, that, that might be listening that think, well, I've not had any childhood trauma. You know, I've got a lovely mum and dad. Kev's mum and dad are beautiful. You know, um, they were the kindest, loveliest people that you could ever wish to have. Um, cooked his dinner for him every night, did his washing, looked after him like a like a baby for years, didn't they? It's important that, you know, I didn't have any of that usual... It's not usual, but I didn't have those those problems. And I did it because I liked it. And it's as simple as that, really. Uh, I did it until I liked it. I liked it so much that really it got a grip on me. And for those that are, are listening, for, in recovery, um, you get back what you put in. Uh, and there's no easy way of doing it. Believe me, if I could have found an easier way, then I, I would have done it. But there isn't. You know, you have to grasp the nettle. You have to go in and you have to give it everything. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. But I can guarantee you that your life will get so much better. I don't mean by having, you know, success or or a, a flashier job or a bigger car or a bigger house. It's not about that. It's about you being happy within yourself, waking up in the morning and not looking at the phone and going, who did I ring last night? 
It's mm. not you waking up in the morning and thinking, oh, you're confronted by that, that dreadful shame. And that shame just makes you go out and start drinking or using again. And you just get into that circle and it's, it's, it's no good. So believe me when I tell you that um, if, you, if you get on into recovery, your life will get so much better. Definitely. I think that's the interesting, isn't it? Because with economic capital and recovery capital, if you sp- you can spend both, but one you have more of at the end of. Mm, yeah. You know, and I think that's really true. And 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 I love what you said there, Kev, because I think I'm I'm never alone today. Um, I can feel not connected to a group. I can be in a crowd and feel I'm on my own. But when I'm with people in recovery, I'm never alone. But equally, I'm never alone on my own. Because um, I'm at peace with myself, and I see peace as boring, but often you just want to escape yourself, aren't you, with addiction? I laugh because it's such a stupid um, thing. And then you see cross-addiction, you know, then you see people swapping stuff. Oh, yeah, I was one of them. Because oh, I, I, I didn't want to be an alcoholic, so I used drugs, I used drink, I used shopping, I used, you name yeah. it. I, I, oh, it's exhausting. There's work, there's all sorts in there. Work addiction, absolutely. Screen addiction, the new phenomena, you know, young kids. These days, I had, you know, one client who had a son who who didn't speak because he all he did was zone out in front of screens. Um, It was, it was awful. It was this little boy was just trapped inside his own head, you know. Um, But it is, it's, it is, there's a lot to be learned. And, you know, thank you for being part of our beautiful big recovery family. Oh, thank you. Um, Because we are connected. I feel connected to you. Everybody who comes in this show that's in recovery, I feel like a heart connection to, because I know what you're doing is is from your heart. And I know that that the differences that you've made and that you are going to make are going to be life-changing. And, you know, the sooner we can get... Whitehall to understand that the the, the huge the huge importance of recovery. Um, you never know. One day, Stuart, we might even get a politician who's in recovery. Wouldn't that be fabulous? Yeah, I, I, and I think so. And I think I think it is about standing up for what we believe is proper health care for and and care for people. You know, in society. Yeah. Um, I think everyone's touched by it, aren't they? You know, we need a minister. We need a minister of addiction. That's what we need. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Every minister. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to thank you as well. Uh, oh, thank Stuart. you. Thank you for coming on. And it's always a privilege to listen to someone's personal story and what they've done uh, after after they kind of put down the drink or the drug. Uh, and it was a privilege. Thank you very much. Oh yeah, and will you come back and see us in the new year, Stuart, and fill us Absolutely. in more on the hero journey? Absolutely. And also tell us a bit more in the new year about Recovery College. We never even touched on that today. That's what I'm saying. There's so much to talk to you about. Absolutely loved having you. Thank you so much for your time and for your wisdom. Um, and have a super Christmas. Yeah, and you. Thank you, Stuart. Lots of love. Thank you. And you, stay safe. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Matt. I'm one of our volunteer fundraisers here at Kennedy Street. Thanks for listening. Your support is greatly appreciated. Please do head over to our website, www.kennedystreetcio.org, for information on how you could be involved in future fundraising campaigns or how you can donate to this great cause.